Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast that, by God, you will not threaten, because we are a family, and those oil fields are our legacy, and none of you carpetbaggers and ne'er-do-wells have what it takes to be a J. Also, we're reviewing the Dallas RPG. It's happening! What the hell is this thing? How did it even happen? What is Dallas, anyway? We'll answer some of that and less on today's System Mastery. Hey listeners, before we start this week, we do have a bit of an announcement. It's not an announcement mastery, though, because we can't pay ourselves $75. But I did. I did. You, John did. And he also took a little chunk out for me. <laughs> I took a little chunk out of you. <laughs> oh, shoot. Maybe that's why I actually lost weight for the first time. That's right. Yeah. I'm stealing your fat. You stole 12 of my pounds. <laughs> my fats. <laughs> How will I survive the winter? Eh, soon I will become perfectly suited to survive winter and play pool. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be at uh, Emerald City Comic Con. We have a panel, uh, I believe it's Friday, 2.30, March 3rd, if, I'm, if, I, if I've got my dates correct. Sure. That sounds right to me. So uh, 2.30, March 3rd. That's a doing, Friday. We'll be doing the RPG quiz show at uh, the Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. If you're going to be there, please come see us. If you have, are going to be in the area, please consider buying tickets. And even if you're in the area and you can't go to the Comic Con, we're going to do a fan meetup along with uh, James from One Shot Podcast and the One Shot Network at the Yard House in downtown Seattle at 7.30 p.m. on March 3rd. Yep, that Friday, the same day that we have... The uh, the panel that we're doing, you can uh, go there, see us if you want. If you're not, go to the Yard House at 7.30. Yep, and that's all we needed to tell you. That's just if you happen to be in Seattle at that time. And then, uh, once again, we'll be at a bunch of places this year. So the next one's going to be C2E2 in Chicago uh, it, towards the end of March into early April, uh, where we will again announce fan meetups and the panels that we are doing. Yep. So thank you so much, and we hope to see you out there in the real world soon enough. Otherwise, right on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to System Mastery, the podcast where we do this bit in the intro. And I'm Jeff, and that's John right over there. He can, you got to trust me on where he is locationally. He's, he's, he's near me, but on the other side of a table. Like, I could reach him, but it'd take effort. That's, that's what I... I want to set like a, a natural scene for you. I want to paint a picture with my words. A verbal picture. I want. Yeah. I want to paint a picture of a word. I want to paint John like one of my French girls, of which I, I don't own do several. That. <laughs> <laughs> Just picture, if you will, a dingy garage uh, with a bunch of surprisingly nice white furniture in it. Because I accidentally bought white furniture when I started furnishing the garage office and then i was like well might as well match yep can't stop now yeah now i gotta keep lysol wipes out here at all times to keep everything from turning into grudge ah <laughs> uh, yes grudge there's always a chance of pure grunge so anyway mm, yeah pure grunge that's definitely an album they sell <laughs> dude i'm so sick of purchasing albums that only have like two or three good grunge songs on them man i hate uh, the man, and I love grunge, but where can I get all my songs in one place? Uh, check this out, dude. 23 of the best grunge songs of the 80s, 90s, and that's all. <laughs> well, I mean, really, be the best grunge songs all of the, the 90s. 90s, and also before the 90s ended. 
Now it comes in a flannel slip cover just for you. <laughs> also featuring the songs of flannel slip cover. <laughs> There's no Nirvana on this album. We couldn't get the rights. Legally, we have to say that. <laughs> but you will enjoy Mud Honey, uh, the Sound Garden. <laughs> others candle box stone roses i think silver chair <laughs> toad the wet sprocket maybe <laughs> uh soul asylum <laughs> are we revealing one of our great musical weaknesses <laughs> that we don't know anything about music at all period <laughs> we yes know, we know a lot about music just stupid music that wasn't popular <laughs> Can I instantly recognize any big-time operator song at 500 paces? Of course. Of course. I have two thumbs and I was alive during the Swing Revival. <laughs> uh, good. But grunge, I got no idea. I was 12 and it seemed stupid. I was mad at them for ruining my fun hair metal, which to me was basically like professional wrestling. Oh, I love grunge. You do? All right. That's yeah, you've got that good Pearl Jam in oh, there. Oh, that's right. Neither of us mentioned Pearl Jam, obviously, because it would also well, because they be would. On yeah. I was like, oh, planet. clearly they didn't get Nirvana or Pearl Jam. You wouldn't get the big <laughs> names. I'm amazed they got Soundgarden. Yeah. I mean, hey, maybe they got Bush in there. You don't know. <laughs> you know, they probably snuck in some stuff that doesn't make any sense at all just because it's from the Time Life Library. So, like, we got Mud Honey, Skint. Mel Torme. <laughs> That's right. We've got your favorites, Blind Melon and B Paul Anka. <laughs> There's so much Smashing Pumpkins on this album. It's just a Smashing Pumpkins album. Wait a minute. Is this just a Foo Fighters album? <laughs> so, so anyway, watch for uh, Flannel Slip Clever or Pure Grunge or whatever that joke started out as. <laughs> Oh, that went for a while. Eh, not that long. We've done worse. It's true. We're going to review the Dallas, the television role-playing game today. That's right. Dallas, the old TV show that the only thing I assume anyone listening knows of that maybe is who shot JR. And not the actual person that shot JR, the phrase... Who shot JR? Yeah, like I have to admit, I have no fucking clue who shot JR. And this book is not going to elucidate us on that topic because I'm pretty sure it predates that arc. I mean, it was, I think, 1980. This is what that's when this was game when came the out. Who Shot JR like storyline happened. Yeah, so I have no idea whether this happened before or after. It could fall on either side of that divide. It because could. The book was written. Or book was and released it's funny you say that because it's from the episode titled A House Divided. So the divide there. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. They divided that house. <laughs> yeah, and I think the answer to who shot JR is still going to completely confuse the two of us because this is a game about nine important people and the lives they live. This this is a game about it's arrested development. Nine of the people on Dallas and not any of the other ones. Yes, yes. I do have who shot Jr. Yeah, if you would we, like to know. No, I, I I would prefer to maintain that mystery. Too bad I, it's Kristen Shepherd. Chris, fuck that asshole. <laughs> I knew it. That's right. I have no idea who that is. It's Jr.'s sister-in-law and mistress. Goodness, he was he was hooking up with his sister-in-law and then she shot him. Yeah. 
I don't Ooh, know why. Salacious. That I don't have. That's some salacious, spicy details. Yeah. He went to his sister's wife and got down with her. That opera sure is soapy. Good Lord. Yeah. Have you watched a single episode of Dallas in your life? Why Why would I have ever watched an episode of Dallas? I don't know how you would. Then again, it's not like I haven't seen just too much days of our lives so it's not like i haven't seen soap operas before that's fair yeah the what little i've seen of soap operas which mostly if i've seen soap operas i was either in a doctor's office my parents hate them so i I never got it from that oh well there you go yeah uh it was either in a doctor's office or like the the cafeteria at a college uh, like a small college where they just had something on tv and so they wouldn't even have the sound on. So, well, yeah, because you yeah. went there and you were like, well, it's one in the afternoon and yeah. they aren't playing anything else. Yeah, it's either that or depending on what year it is, it's that or it's Because like, they don't have cable, so they're just playing what's on yeah. network TV. Yeah, you know, it's going to be that or some kind of home improvement show if they have even the most basic of cable. But yeah, all I know about soap operas based on that is that they're always a bunch of uh, sexy, firmed up young dudes and a bunch of like cougar type ladies. I assume because they keep the ladies on the show longer. Um, and then also every house has like 800 pieces of flair in it. Like you can, the actors can barely move cause all the houses are, are like so decorated. I assume just by years and years of just accumulation of garbage. See, I, I mean, again, this is just going off of my extensive knowledge of days of our lives where soap operas are, you've had the same actors in here for 30 years. So it's not hunked up dudes anymore. It's. Like, I, I used to be hunked up, and now I'm, you know, 60. Maybe, I mean, it's not like I know what I was watching, because I'd be, I'd walk in, I'd get my two tacos and a cinnamon roll or whatever dumb college shit I'd eat, and then I'd just be like, ugh, look at the screen, that's stupid. Why do they have so much fucking furniture? It's ridiculous. How do they move around? It's like they live in the back of, an, of a cost plus. <laughs> and, but I I'd mean, they be- would always have, like, four locations where they could do a scene. Yeah. So it was like, all right, here's... The main character who is Rich's house, so they can explain why there's a living room the size of a fucking warehouse. Yeah. And then... there's also a fucking warehouse. Like, some restaurant, probably owned by one of the characters. Yeah. An outside area. Mm-hmm. And then maybe if they're doing a plot line, it'll be like, here's the, like, wharf and someone's being menaced by a pirate or the some shit. The locker room at the sport club. <laughs> <laughs> and then later years, because I feel like, especially with ones that have run forever, you get like, oh, now it's the kids that someone had on the show are now completely grown up, even if like that kid was would be born in the show like eight years ago. They're, you know, played by an 18 year old now because it's better to have sexy teens. Right. Yeah. I, I want to say that at least one of the soap operas went so wacky and wild as to have a character become a superhero as part of the arc. And then that character was officially a DC superhero for a while. I mean, the only thing I can think of is Passions that had a witch with a doll that was alive (laughs) and also an orangutan for a nurse. I'll have to look up the soap opera superhero. But ultimately, can we just start by by establishing this so that we're not going to get yelled at till the ends of the earth? Is Dallas even a soap opera? I don't know. Oh, for sure. This might have been appointment television. This might have been on one night a week and you stayed up to talk about it. Oh, well, the reveal for Who Shot JR was 
huge. Yeah. 83 million viewers turned in for that. Yeah, I think that's all the people there were in the world at that time. Yeah, I'm pretty was, sure in was, 1980, that yeah, was everyone. That was bigger than the population of the Earth, I think. We had to get some aliens and count a couple of dogs. We bust people in yeah. for this. <laughs> we bust people in from not the Earth. <laughs> from hell. They came back to watch it. They were excited. Yeah, I, I don't know if it ca- I don't know if it counted as a soap opera or not, <laughs> but I'm googling it now, and yes, apparently it totally did. Yeah, primetime television soap opera. That's the big thing, though, is that it was a primetime soap opera. So ah, okay. instead of it being that, you know, uh, like one o'clock to three o'clock, the whole like, oh, I've put the kids off to school and they haven't gotten back yet, and I finished doing whatever I'm going to do for the day, housewife watching. Yeah, yeah, the glass of red wine uh, soap opera. Yeah. This is more of like an evening one. Yeah, this okay. was this was more like, you know, you'd get like dark shadows and stuff like that. Sure, yeah. So uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the history of this game based on nothing but the Wikipedia article for it, because I think this is pretty fascinating stuff. Oh, yeah, because obviously you hear that there is a Dallas RPG, and it came out in like 1988. And people rightly are like, what and why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's certainly a cultural oddity. I remember when we first started making the shows, people were always like, oh, you got to do the Dallas RPG. You got to do the Dallas. R- Isn't it crazy it even exists? And I would be like, my friend, my good sir. My, my brother in Christ. I can't say my brother in Christ because that meme doesn't exist yet. <laughs> I, what the fuck is Dallas? I would say to them, I would say. I would say to them, I'd say, lol, what? <laughs> Mabel, I says. I says I says to her, Mabel, what? <laughs> but it's made by a company called SPI, or Simulations Publications Incorporated. Uh, they were a, uh, like a war game publication uh, company. They made stuff like strategy and tactics and a, an early Star Trek game called Star Trek Adventure uh, Gaming in the Final Frontier, which were models-based. So they did a lot of... Uh, of war of tactical tabletop war game stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were worried that they were, the SPI was, were debt ridden and they couldn't milk enough money out of their war game audience, which is anyone who has friends who are war gamers will know is either super true or entirely untrue. Well, yeah, there are only two kinds of war gamers. There are the war gamers who are like, I bought an army 20 years ago. It's my army. And I, might buy a new model once a year just for a model if it's new. Yeah. But otherwise, I have the the whole range and I'm done. I'm done. I'll never buy a model again. And in fact, I'm so weird about this that I will stand by the register and try to dissuade other people from buying models. Huh. Or you'll have the, t- the one in a million whale out who's like, I bought every army. And whenever they put out new models, I make a whole new army yeah. based around those models. I can't help myself. So they had a fairly groggy audience is basically what I'm pulling from this, that that were very much primarily interested in these war games, that they would use uh, representation instead of purchasing the models, they'd write their own rules for the games and so on. So SPI just wasn't making any money. And in a desperate bid to try and seek out a new audience, they thought, hey, this TV show is huge. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for what's got an audience, technically Dallas. Yeah, but apparently it sold like trash. Because, you know, sure, Dallas has an audience, but it's not an audience that wants to play a role-playing game about Dallas. Oh, of course not. I mean, <laughs> the Venn diagram for, like, people who want to play a role-playing game and people who are watching Dallas do not touch. Very, Those are two circles. That's a pair of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the Venn diagram that is best drawn as boobs. <laughs> 
ah, so they have two smaller <laughs> subsections yeah, two smaller within circles. those circles. Yeah, the smaller ones are the whales who will purchase any war game model. And then, I don't know, real Dallas weirdos. I don't know enough about Dallas to know if they're already stereotypes. <laughs> jock fans. <laughs> Everyone's real big fans of jock Ewing. <laughs> Not fans of Dallas that were themselves jocks. Indeed. Yeah, that's different. So anyway, the end result was that not only did this not work for SPI, but it also, because this is an early story about how grogs are the worst, alienated their war game audience who got pissed and stopped buying things even harder. Yeah, they're like, oh, well, our war game audience doesn't buy things. Let's try to appeal to someone else. Oh, this pissed off the people that were sort of buying things, and now they're not buying more. Yeah. Wow. So there are only 80,000 copies of this game in the world, or at least there were in 1980. I have to assume a lot of them are trash now. And I got to say, we got a really good one. Oh, yeah. Our copy I mean, is pristine. pristine. Yeah, we got these these crappy early 80s dice. We have the advertisement for Ares, the sci-fi magazine in I there. I got to say, the two six-sided dice that this came with were so tiny. They're adorable. They are just baby-sized they're, dice. They're wee. And in a, in a fun turn of events, it also has an old Candyland card in it. I have to assume circa 1980. So if you would like to advance to the next blue square... <laughs> baby we got you covered and if you'd like to play any other port of Candyland, uh no dice we can't help you yeah well there's no dice in candy we, we do yeah there's no dice there's just this one card and the licorice king or prince or whatever he is <laughs> the licorice lord lord licorice lord licorice the licorice lord that's his full title lord licorice the licorice lord lord of licorice land <laughs> can you name any of the other characters which ones which ones are we oh uh, well they've changed some of them over I know, the they years they got rid of like the sludge monster one yeah well <laughs> They got Grandma Nut, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, who wouldn't? I, certainly Grandma Nut was probably the target audience of Dallas. <laughs> I mean, those are your fans of Jock Ewing. <laughs> That's a joke for anyone who knows that Jock Ewing is the patriarch of the family, an older gentleman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hey, get out of here. I haven't got time for a role-playing game. Grandma Nut. <laughs> Grandma Nut. <laughs> well, if you insist. <laughs> Uh, no, I can't remember anything else about Candyland. I just remember that it's pretty famous as the board game that you don't need to play. Like, once you've got the cards shuffled, you can just turn them over and determine who won. Yeah, you just go, oh, okay, we already know how this game is. It's just playing it out now. Yeah, because there are no secondary randomization elements. You shuffle a deck of cards and then see who won. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, enough prevaricating. Let's talk Dallas. Oh, and also, this killed SPI. <laughs> this kills the SPI. <laughs> At least I'm fairly certain it did. It looks like it kind of just, uh, uh, SPI went bankrupt shortly after this. So, uh, in, in the tradition of box set games from the early 80s, this is just a bunch of very thin books. The actual rule, the rule book for the entire game is only 16 pages. Yeah, and, I mean, this is, this is a game that really splits the difference with, I mean, if you want to talk about Venn Diagram thing, this is the intersection between role-playing game, LARP, LARP and murder mystery. Yeah, it, and it's kind of early to be a LARP, too. Yeah, it is it is an interesting take on how to do a game set, especially in a soap opera, which is very neat. Because, you know, from 1980, they're like, hey, this is a role-playing game that is full PvP. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's a, this is very cutthroat. Yeah, because the whole thing is every single character, and there are nine characters baseline that you can play as. Yep. You'll no play to make new ones. You'll play a, you know, a 
episode, basically, of Dallas. Uh Uh-huh. And everyone has their own victory condition, and a lot of those victory conditions are not compatible with other people, so you'll just be fighting the whole time to try and get what you need, which is great to be on theme for a soap opera like this, where everyone's like, I'm scheming to get a thing. Well, I'm also scheming to get a thing. Yeah, it feels like it might have been a hard sell to a new audience, though. Like, if you're if you're trying to go all in on a brand new audience to role-playing games in general, telling them, like, yeah, you got to get eight of your closest friends into a room together. One of you has to pretend to be Bobby Ewing, and another one has to pretend to be, like, like just, I don't know. Pam. Yeah, Ellie's, Ellie Ewing or whoever. Uh, then, uh, and also, you guys have to fucking fight constantly you're just gonna get these a bunch of serious cat fights and at the end only one of you is gonna be any happy about it i mean it's interesting because i would feel like given how old this is the target audience would have to be like people who were really into playing the board game diplomacy yeah would be a a thousand percent into it because this is all just like wheeling and dealing and clandestine deals that you're going to break at some point. Yeah, like right there on the first page of the rulebook, there's 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 uh, rules for how you do things to the minor characters of the game. That's pretty much all your stats in this game are uh the mechan- all of your stats are just relation or or uh descriptions of the type of thing you will do to win over favor or coerce uh, response from minor characters in the game. You can also use or them on each characters. other. Yeah. But it does say right in there like in the first page of the rules like look there's no real rule here that says you can't just promise shit to people or or make backroom deals or anything. Go nuts. Oh, yeah. The- Everything in this is pretty much based on the director's choice. Yes. So if you want to make it so you're like, oh, at my game, I allow it if at any point during like the negotiation phase of a game, mm-hmm. two characters want to walk off away from the table and make a deal and then come back, they can do that. But you could also say, as a director, you'd be like, no, everything ha- happens out in the open at the table, and if you want to make something clandestine, you've got to be sneaky at the table. Yes. Yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. The the, uh, the, the core thrust of the gameplay, like the thing you're actually trying to accomplish here, is uh, every character is given a, a uh, primary motivation and a storyline that they're playing through this episode of the show. <laughs> so the game is played out in episodes. The ga- it comes with three. And they're all brand new. All the episodes are written for this book. They aren't adaptations of episodes of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you're given something that you're doing, like what your goal is J.R. Ewing or Bobby Ewing or Sue Ellen or whatever it is. Uh, and then you're given a list of assets that you need to have under your control by the end of the, the uh, was it five rounds of gameplay? Yeah, it's five, five or six rounds where you basically have a negotiation round where everyone is allowed to wheel and deal and then an actual like influence round where everyone rolls dice and uses their various attributes and powers and whatnot to try and get the things they need Uh uh-huh now out on the table will be a certain number of either face up or face down cards which represent either minor characters Mm -hmm. from the show or just things like the local police or a local senator or something like that. Right. Or they can be like companies like Ewing oil will be a thing you could have. Yeah. I love it when there's one that, when there's ones that in the, uh, the script, they don't tell you what that is and and you have no way of knowing unless you happen to be super into Texas oil politics in like the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Where there'll be someone who's like, 
well, I am desperately in need of the Mexican-American Farm Workers Union. But they won't call it that. They'll call it MAFU. And they'll never tell you what that stands for. Goddamn. I kept seeing MAFU in there. I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was pl- I was happy that I was able to guess what it stood for. But yeah, things like MAFU and Sync Pack. Where you just, oh, the Sync Pack. You just have to kind of know. I think Sync Pack is like a congressional co- committee of some kind. Yeah, there's there's so many things in here that are just inscrutable inscrutable until you're like well it's a good thing it's not 1980 and i have google because like oh yeah if i had just been given this and did not know what any of that shit was it is not willing to explain anything i guess maybe there's something to be said for an era when there just wasn't as much television you could watch that really everyone was watching dallas that really was water cooler conversation because nowadays before you can start a conversation about any TV show, you have to be like, so, do you have Paramount Plus? Yeah. Are you keeping up with the Star Treks? Which one are you okay with? Are you also okay with spoilers? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely been a thing with the proliferation of streaming services. Yeah. Even ones that are like, oh, these are big, like, touchstone cultural things have like a quarter of the viewership that like regular like network television would have had in the 80s. Yeah. And as it stands, reading this now is like reading just weird uh, it's like reading Ian Asir's complaint about copper prices. He was like, <laughs> like, I kind of understand. Vaguely. I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm not 100% putting together. Why didn't you just go to a different ingot dealership? <laughs> This guy's cornered the market on shitty ingots? (laughs) Then just don't buy shitty ingots. That's on you, dude. (laughs) You trust A. Nasir, you fucked up. Everyone knows this dude got shitty copper. He's just not trustworthy in copper or bronze. You got got to move on to the next target. Uh, But yeah, because I was reading this and I was just like, I don't know what the fuck any of this is. And the book is too short to lay that shit out. I was kind of expecting... I don't know. I, I I suppose I had a blissful bit of hope in me that there was going to be maybe one page, two pages dedicated to like, hey, welcome to the world of Dallas. You know what's fucked up, though? Yeah. The director's book for the person running the game, instead of having a let me tell you what Dallas is, it has a let me tell you what literal Dallas is and is basically a Texas. Wikipedia page about Dallas, the history of Texas in general. <laughs> Nothing about the show. It's just, hey, man, did you have an encyclopedia nearby? Here's the history of Texas. Pull out the tea in your world book series. It is amazing to me that it gave in a game that has like Every booklet in it that's rules is like five pages long. It dedicates in the director's thing a good seven pages to just and then of course in nineteen oh seven in Texas they decide I'm like, what the fuck does this have to do with the show? <laughs> I love that that's so true because we see that we, this isn't the first time we've seen that. We saw that with uh, what Panty Explosion where it was like, well, to truly understand the Japanese schoolgirl. Uh, and especially these psychic superpowered ones from our book, you have to first delve back to the Heian period of Japan <laughs> when roving warrior princesses wore their hair very differently than you might expect. And you're like, the fuck are you talking? You just knew a lot about Japan and wanted to write it down somewhere. Needed to write it down somewhere. Yeah, this is definitely someone who was like, 
shit, how do I fill more page space? Well, I have an encyclopedia. Let me look up the city of Dallas. Yeah, which is wild because you'd think the, the obvious answer is, oh, I got some page space. What do I put in it? Hey, did you buy this because you thought a role-playing game about Dallas was crazy, but you actually haven't watched Dallas? Let's get you up to speed. It's not like you have a real way to get up to speed because we don't live in the VCR era. Yeah, no one's got a fucking TiVo. If you missed last night's episode of Dallas, fuck you then. Go buy TV Guide and hope it's doing an article on it. It is. Right between humor and uniform and something else. (laughs) I mean, the big thing for me is that even in the sections where it should be giving you that, like each player gets a full sheet. Oh, yeah. That's a whole like, character write up. Here's all your stats. Yeah. Here's uh, all of the like bits that you need to know about this character. It gives you a paragraph that's like, hey, you're playing Ellie Ewing. You're the matriarch of the Ewing family. Yeah. You give a fuck about, I don't know, ranching or some shit. Anyway, that's it. Full stop. You don't get anything else. But we will tell you, as a woman, woman, you have less power than the males in this game. So try and get with other women and form a little circle of power between the women. Maybe go to the bathroom together. Which is also amazing in the episode guides where they're like, JR is trying to screw over the Arabs and sell them a plan that doesn't exist to make millions of dollars. Meanwhile... Pam wants to go on vacation. And you're like, God damn it. Come on. (laughs) And the fact that they're competing is hilarious to me. Oh, yeah, because it's like, well, if you're JR and you need to fool the Arabs, you're going to need a local senator, the local papers, a professor, and all of these various things that you'll find in the game. And then it'll be like, ah, I'm the granddaughter of the show. I need to pass a test. I also need that professor that you need yeah. so that I can pass my test. Yeah, and we, he can't do two things at once, so that's that's the that's the struggle of the show. Uh, it turns out that in order for JR to win to impress the Arabs, he needs the, to bend the ear of one Mustafa Kazir. But also, I need Mustafa Kazir, because I was thinking I might visit Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> that's a place. Oh, man. It is it is also one of those things where looking at the characters and looking at everything for the episodes, I was like, oh, I get why someone fucking shot JR. This guy sucks. Oh yeah, no, he every single episode is about how he's he's basically just a cartoon villain in this book, and I, I don't I assume he's the main character of the show. I mean, he he's basically I think he started as sort of being kind of the main villain, but he became the main character because he was constantly in the limelight for being the wheeler dealer he's popular and they gave him he got his own show he just didn't have to wait for it to be loki he just (laughs) just took over the show eventually that's fine he urkled the show he is the only character to have appeared in every episode oh my goodness that's pretty that's fascinating urkel didn't pull that off because that's first season so but the other thing is jr stat wise has just better stats across the board than anybody. Oh, yeah. There are power stats for, like, how much power you have and you can use to influence things. He has more power than anyone. Yeah. There's a luck stat 
that if everything else fails, you can fall back on. He's luckier than anyone. Yeah, and the book's advice for you if you're playing as JR is like, look, you're way more powerful than everyone else. You should fully expect everyone hates your fucking ass and will gang up on you. So instead, you need to just be as nice as possible all the time. Yeah, because everyone at the table is looking over at your ass going, fuck this guy. I hate this guy. Because you have an unfair advantage. And again, I'm like, fuck, that's so good. It's so good to make him be unfairly powerful. But then everyone at the table is like, oh, it's a PvP game. Let's fuck this guy. Yeah. It's great. Honestly, I've come to the point where I love the Dallas RPG. I, it's fine by me. I, you know, I can tell why you would love the game. Because ultimately, you you could talk in your best Southern accent all you want and really, you know, adopt the character of Houseman and Range Rider Ray Krebs or whatever. But at the end of the day, this is a board game. Oh, it for sure is a board game. Yeah. Because everything in it... Uh, I mean, we may as well go over... Let's talk the rules. Here, go ahead. Grab the book. That's the character guide. Yeah. I'll just go over. Everybody has a set of stats. Yes. Uh, your stats are not really like, oh, strength or agility or whatever. That would have been instead, hilarious, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> be like, oh, I wonder how strong JR is. Hmm. What's Sue Ellen's vertical leap? <laughs> <laughs> hey, how can Lucy Ewing bend bars lift gates, I wonder? <laughs> Uh, instead, what you have are uh, basically the actions you can take in the game. So the four things you can do during your turn is persuasion, coercion, seduction, investigation. Yes. And every character has a stat with two numbers with a slash in between. Yeah, one's offensive and the other is defensive. Yeah, so if you go to do something, let's say you're JR and you want to persuade someone, you have a 20 persuasion if you are persuading and a 16 persuasion, if someone is attempting to persuade you, mm -hmm. so you're more easily persuaded than you are, uh, persuasive. Yes. I suppose. And you'll see this, they use this for some, for, uh, for some of the, uh, more, uh, Piccadillo ish wiles of the show where you can tell that range man, the perpetual bachelor Ray Krebs is exceptionally vulnerable to seduction. Oh and, yeah. And only medium good. At Cause he's it. like, Oh, everyone's got, a decent score in seduction. Whereas, you know, if you're Sue Ellen Ewing, the hottie of the show, of course you've got a 27, Yeah, but most people are ranging in the mid to high teens, maybe a 20 and he's got a 19. He's not bad at it. It's his, it's his, but defenses. he's got an 11 defense against it. Cause yeah. he's just like, Oh gee, you sure are pretty. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's the, he's the person who I think stayed a bachelor on the show either the longest or just the whole time. And so, uh, and so they, they play him up as the person that everyone can get their hooks into, or at least everyone of the opposite sex. This game is not especially progressive. Yes. I, I mean, do the, like that they're at least like, look, it only works on members of the opposite sex. And then in parentheses that you're not related to. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm sorry. You cannot seduce your sister. <laughs> Maybe you can't. That sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> well, I've been on Pornhub and I know that's bullshit. <laughs> The other thing is you'll have some like modifications to that. So on that whole thing, Ray Krebs has a minus four to resist or affect any Ewing. Yeah. So if he's like, oh, I'll show them, I'll, I'll do whatever. No, you aren't. The Ewings have you under their thumb. Yeah. Well, he is basically their, their, their tool. He's like a tool for them. And he, especially he's Jock. He's a yeah. minus six for Jock Ewing. Yeah. So he's just like, 
yeah, man, if you want to do anything against the Ewings, you don't. Yeah, he's been working for Jock for forever, and he will never go against him. That's that's basically his role in this. He's uh, a made man. Yeah, and boy, he is just absolute trash at persuasion <laughs> as well. He's got a 12 slash 11 in persuasion. Krebs is not persuading anyone. I think they specifically call him out as the weakest of the male characters. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Of all the, the men that you can be in this, he has the lowest power and the worst stats and the lowest luck. He's also just like the guy that's in charge of the horses at their family ranch and only the matriarch, Ellie or Sue Ellen or whatever, and Ellie... Uh, has any real interest in the ranch anyway. And so, really, when you're playing him, you can even tell in the stories they have a hard time coming up with what he's doing. Nine times, or well, there's only three times, three oh, stories yeah. in the book, but three times out of three, his story is like, you heard there might be criminals out there on the range. You've decided to go investigate. And it has nothing to do with what anyone else is doing. Oh, for sure. He's just like, oh, all the Ewings are my friends, and I don't care. Uh... I'm just trying to help out. And even sometimes uh, during the episodes, you'll have like, oh, these are the things you need. But it'll also say, oh, if this guy also controls it, it counts as you controlling it. It's especially popular with the female characters. Yeah, almost always the female characters will be like, oh, if my husband controls this, then I also control it. But you get like Ellie is like, or if Pam has all these things, I still win. Yeah. Which means you can play, the female characters have a whole sub game where they can be like, Oh, no, I'm grabbing these things, and they'll make them easy for them to get, so I'll win over there. Yeah. Now, the the way it works as far as playing goes is you set up your scene for your episode. Uh-huh. Uh, everyone gets a little, like, clipping from the episode Yep. where you have a base that everyone hears. So there's some information that's just like, oh, everyone knows that JR just came back from vacation, and everyone knows that... Uh, Sue Ellen has been seen downtown in a shopping district with a man and so on. Yeah. But then you'll have your own personal information for like, okay, but what are you, you actually trying to do? Yeah. And they're, they're so deep into the weeds of what Dallas was about. Like the first script is called the great claim. And in you get the, the first description here, which is like, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's long, but the Mexican American community is a small town or in a small town near South Fork is buzzing over the rumored discovery of authentic Spanish land grant. This will cause a lengthy court case and it'll change hands of who owns what pieces of land all over Texas. It's super important. Meanwhile, every other character has their own thing going on. Uh, Ellie is more worried about this than seems re- that seems like she should be. Like, why would she give a shit? She's just a ranch owner. Turns out maybe some of that land is Mexican land. Oh, no. Yeah. Bobby is consolidating his position at the oil company. Uh, uh, Sue Ellen is spending too much. She's broken her allowance restrictions that JR has put her under. And Lucy is running with a fast crowd on the at the local college campus. Oh, no. But then we jump to JR, and JR just gets like, dude, you have the land grant. It starts right there. You have come across an old Spanish land grant, which, however dubious, will be useful in depressing the value of many oil properties, allowing you to pick up many of these properties at bargain prices. To make your plan pay off, you must put together a formidable array of items. You must control by the end of the episode the land grant and then five other things. Yeah, the the interesting thing is usually any given episode will have maybe like a dozen to 16 things that are in play. Yeah. And every character will have a list of things that they need to control and then how many of those they need to have. So it'll be like, all right, you need to control four out of these seven things in yes. order to make 
you know, your plan of victory. And that is, again, one of those things where I kept looking at JR and his would be like, oh, you need to control four out of seven things. You start play with one of them. Yeah. And you'd go to another character and it's like, you need to control four out of these five things and you start with nothing. Yeah. Like literally in this one, if you play as JR, you need, you need that land grant plus five other things. You need six things out of, I think of a total of 20 in this setting, um, including things like you need control of the department of the interior, but also you need the Ewing oil company and the, uh, the land grant. And you already have both. Yeah. And to make it more annoying, the land grant, cause this is a, a neat mechanic in the game during gameplay, you take all of the relevant things and put them out on the table. Uh, things like, oh, you, maybe uh, there's a, an, an important reporter in town or the local police or just a big bag of money. Uh, some of them will be face up and others will be face down. And if they're face down, you don't know what that is. That's what the investigate status for. Exactly. So, you know, JR he has might show down. like, oh, I've got, you know, the Ewing oil face up is one of the things I start with. Yes. And then something face down. And if someone wanted to know what that was, they'd have to use one of their actions to investigate and figure out that he has that. Yes. But it's also the stuff that's in the middle of the table, because the middle of the table can have things like, oh, the local police. Yeah, everyone knows they're there. But there could be some face-down things, and you could go, oh, it turns out that there's also, you know, this reporter that no one knew was snooping around. But now you investigated, and you know. But if you investigate, you look at it and put it back face-down, mm -hmm. because until it becomes, like, actual knowledge for everyone, it's just, ooh, I figured something out. I'm rewarded for taking the investigation action yeah. because the investigation action doesn't get you anything. All the other ones like, you know, coercing, coercing and persuading and so on yeah. are how you get those various, uh, you know, places and people and things into your control. Right. And the the thing, this is what, what drove me nuts, is I assume all of this stuff is Dallas stuff. Like, I, I maybe they're making up these characters because they're making up these storylines, but I, 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 don't, I have no way of knowing. But what little we get about the the actual main characters, will they be like, you know, uh, Ellie is the matriarch. She's she's primarily obsessed with the ranch. Uh, she is strong-willed and independent. That that kind of, that's, that's as much as you get on her. If you're talking about a character like Alexis Blancher, who's a minor character, you get nothing. You get a sentence of how they would be useful to you, and each person has a different reason for it, and by the end, you can't put together the first thing about who the fuck that is. You'll be like, oh, I need Alexis Blancher. Uh, it helps to hush up the secretaries. Yeah, the... I mean, the interesting thing is this gets played out over, you know, five or six scenes. Mm -hmm. You have the negotiation scene, and then you go into... Uh, you can actually use your stats to try and get stuff. Everyone can do three things. Yeah, you get three actions on your turn. And you can do it from whatever character you're playing. So, you know, Bobby Ewing can go ahead and use his persuasion to try and get something. Yeah. But if I have a minor character, if I've got, like, some professor or whatever, I can also use them if they're under my influence to do something as well. Yes, they all also have stats. Uh, there's one stat we haven't mentioned yet. I think there's two, actually. Power and luck don't work the same. You, you no, mentioned I mentioned them. them but... Yeah, they just don't work the same as the others. Yeah, so power uh, is represented by power tokens. So between nine power for JR and one for Lucy. Yeah, and zero for a lot of the minor characters. Yeah, yeah. but for the main characters, you have between nine and one. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just a token that you hold, and at any point in time, you can spend it on a roll, because we also haven't gone in on rolls yet. Yes, there is a roll mechanic in the game. Uh, um, the way you do things is your offensive stat, uh, let's say I'm JR and I'm trying to persuade something. Yes. I have 20. If I am trying to persuade, let's say, my mom, Ellie, mm-hmm. she has a 14 to uh, resist persuasion. Yes. But... Uh, plus two to resist children that yes. she has. Yeah. So she'd go up to an effective 16. Yes. Uh, then you'd subtract one from the other. So at that point, you're like, all right, I've got a four. Yeah. Uh, if I've got any special abilities or things that might raise or lower that, I can use that. But this is where power comes into play. Yes. You can spend tokens to add to it. So if you're like, all right, I have a four. That means I have to roll a four or under on 2d6 in order to persuade her. To adorably wee d6. <laughs> and you can go ahead and say, all right, I'll spend some power and bump that number up. Yeah. Uh, if you ever in a roll either direction, if you're below two, you can't do it, period. If you're above 12, you just automatically succeed. Yes. But power refreshes every round. Mm-hmm. So if I have nine power as JR, I can be like, well, I'll spend like four on this and four on that, and they're all tokens that you spend, so you'll have a spent pile. Yes. That's also a thing you can go after. So in addition to, like, the assets that someone is controlling, I could say, oh, I'm going to try and seduce JR to take a power token from him yep. and give it to myself. Yeah, which makes him a, a just a big old balloon full of power tokens, him plus a couple of the minor characters who may have lower defense stats are the best way to steal power. Taking power away from a guy like this local Texas publisher by the name of M.X. Neville Stone, because he has five power, but his defenses are all like 12s and 11s. Yeah. So it's way easier to get the non-main characters than uh, the main characters. But main characters also have luck, and do the... Minor characters also have luck, yeah. yeah. It's essentially, if someone does affect you, like, oh, someone seduces you and you don't like that... You can see if you get lucky in that they don't. Yeah. And you roll 2d6, and if you get under your luck stat, then great. You you don't, aren't affected by it. I like to assume that that's, you know, happenstance occurring, like you're in the middle of the seduction, and then, you know, your comically silly aunt bursts into the room and a cake falls on her face or something. Yeah. And she's like, oh my, this cake on my face! And yeah, someone's all- like coming up next to you, and they're like, well, I think it would be mighty fine if we got to know each other. And then like, the phone loudly rings mm-hmm. and he picks up. Is like, sorry, honey, business needs to happen. <laughs> and just puts the phone down. My cake-faced aunt is farting again. <laughs> oh, no. It seems Bobby's built a machine and it farts. <laughs> they put too many farts in this machine. It's farting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> other TV shows I might prefer to watch. <laughs> so, yeah, you'll... Go around doing that, and like I said, you only have three actions. So if you want to do something, it's one of your actions. You can also, if you want to protect something, you can use an action to protect an asset. So if you're like, I need to have, you know, like the land grant, or I need to be in control of this reporter or something, Mm -hmm. you can spend an action to say, I'm protecting this. And then they get a plus three to resist anything that comes at them. Yes. 
Uh, it's also, this game has a lot of just happenstance bullshit, which again makes it feel a lot like a, like a board game, where it'll be like, on, uh, on turn two, JR gets called away to a business meeting and he's not there. Yeah. And it means JR's player can still play. He just can't use JR. No, he has to use anything, anything that was under his control instead. So if he has three assets, he can have them go. Yeah. Because assets can only go once each per turn. But it also means you can't do anything to him because he's not there. Yes, you can't, you can't affect him. But you can affect his assets, and it's a great time to do it. Yeah. Now, you can, as a controlling major character, spend your own power to try and help out. So if you're like, oh, I've got this thing. You know, I've got the land grant and I want to protect it and someone goes after it. I can throw my own power behind keeping it if I want to. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a fairly functional system, but it basically is you you take all these cards and you put them out in the middle of the table and then you all argue over who needs them and so on. And it, it says, like, you can be open or you can be secretive about your wants. It's probably smart to be fairly secretive. Yeah. But if you want to, you can form little coalitions and be like, look. We aren't fighting over who controls Tina Rourke. So if you help me get Tina Rourke, I'll help you get Jorge Grace. Oh, yeah, because you might have a thing where you're like, oh, I need this professor. But it also counts as me having this professor if this other character has it. Yeah. And you could go over to them and be like, look, I don't give a fuck. You can take this professor from me. It's fine. But if you do, I want something from you because they don't know that it counts for them having it if you have it. So you could be like. I'll allow you to have this, but I need you to spend two power in order to do whatever. So it's interesting that way. The one other thing that makes this not just be like a very static board game is, you know, like you mentioned, the whole every scene does stuff. Yeah. Not all assets are in play at the start. Yeah. Like you'll have, you know, 20 assets that are in play during this episode, but like, Four of them are in play in the first scene. Yeah. So the first scene is everyone just fucking hungry, hungry, hipposing. Yeah. Like the four things they can get their hands on. And then slowly more and more stuff gets introduced. We're investigating just to find out what they are. And and uh, and then there's, yeah, a mad dash to get them. And then also you'll have things like uh, more than one of the episodes had a character named Kaya or Kay Rupshorn. She was like a state of, she was like an investigator of some kind. And she would sniff interesting stories and show up in round four. And then a lot of people needed her. And it was like, oh, that's desperate. You got to get her now because the game's almost over. Now, and here she is. Get her, get her, get her. Oh, yeah. Because you'd be looking at your sheet like, all right, I need four out of these five things. I have seen three of them. Yeah. I don't even know where the other two are. So there's this desperate feeling for a lot of characters in there, which again, I love for a soap opera game to be like, oh, yeah, you're you're in round four and you don't even know if you can finish your fucking thing because you haven't seen what you need yet. Yeah, yeah. it just puts you on edge. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, there's also a number of uh, just item cards, things like the Spanish land grant doesn't have a stat value. Uh, you can't coerce the Spanish land grant or, or anything like that. So it just says Spanish land grant and you're just fighting over it that way. There's no way to steal it from each other beyond straight up affecting the person who controls it. Exactly. If JR's got it and you want it, you need to coerce it out of him or or or, or uh, get a negotiation that manages to be fine with him. Yeah, which I find hilarious because he has the super high defenses and he starts with it in the in the game that it's about. It's going to stay with him. I mean, his defenses aren't super high, but they're the thing is he doesn't have anything low. All of his 
offensive stats are good, yeah. and his defensive stats are, at worst, fine. Yeah, average. And then uh, there's also the last grouping of these. We mentioned it earlier, but there is a grouping of these that are uh, organizations. We mentioned yep. uh, MAFWU, the Mexican-American Farm Workers Union. But there's also, like, the Department of the Interior, the FBI. Yes. Yeah, which is fun because uh, the, the, each one of these will have a power level, and some of them are quite powerful. Like, the local press has a six power you can go after. Uh, and there's a couple senators as well that, that in the game that have, like, five or six power. Uh, but the FBI has a power of three in Texas and seven in the United States. Uh. That's saying something. Hey, now. That's making a statement of some kind. And in addition to the baseline at trying to get your victory conditions to win, you can also be the overall winner, because you can have multiple people get their victory conditions at the end. But to be the big winner, there are also victory points in addition to victory conditions. And every character has a different thing that will get them victory points. So it's like, oh, every time you manage to seduce someone, get two victory points. Yes. Or every time you manage to influence Jock specifically, get a victory point. Yeah, there'll be some that some of those are specific to the character and others are specific to the storyline for that character. Yeah. Sometimes it'll be like, oh, you'll get a point if you manage to do this. Or if you manage to not get that, like if you resist something, you'll get victory points. There is also a, for every player, if you can manage to send somebody to jail, (laughs) there is a whole process of like, all right, if you manage to find out someone did something illegal using investigation, then you get victory points. Then if you can manage to get them arrested, you get victory points. If you can get them indicted, you get more victory points. Yep, which is especially uh, delicious because JR is always doing something illegal. All three of the stories that this game comes with are like, JR is planning an illegal land dealer. JR bought up a bunch of swampland and built fake houses and sold them to old people. But it only shows up, the director will actually announce to the table, someone had... It'll say like, oh, the person playing JR has done something illegal. He won't tell you what. Yeah. He won't tell you anything more. You'll have to try and investigate to find it. But the big thing is, if you want to do this, it all has to be done in one round. Yes. So if you manage to be like, all right, we're going to try and, you know, figure out what it is. So we're doing our investigation thing. All right. That went through. We found it out. We have to go through the next, like, three more steps But if you do, they're in jail and out for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. But if you fail to get through all four steps in one round, then the charges drop and it turns out nothing happens. No consequences. And now you got a huge enemy. Yeah. And now he's like, oh, you just spent all of your actions that turn on one gamble that didn't pay off. (laughs) Ooh, baby, let's fucking go. Oh, and you say you want part of the oil inheritance. <laughs> well, I believe after this little <laughs> problem... Yeah, let's, let's assume that J.R. That, uh, Ewing, Texas oil billionaire, sounds like that. Well, <laughs> I see now that I've got villains within the family. I'm J.R. Ewing, and I will find everyone who's against me. Now, now calm down, my son. I am, uh, how you say, Jock Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Texas patriarch and millionaire. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I honestly fucking love this. And you are right. It's because it's a, a, board, it's a board game. game. But also, 
not since fucking dread have we reviewed a thing where i'm like mechanics informing tone yeah that really this gets there is huge on that yeah yeah, the the, uh, the way that you determine... I mean, the dice mechanic is a little weird, but it's fine. It's totally functional. You get it right away. You take a number, you subtract it from the other number, you roll under the result on 2d6, and you can throw power tokens at it. Honestly, that's fairly fluid and fairly advanced for 1980 for a war game company. Yeah, I was like, god damn, this is really simple, given that it's coming from a war game company, and also that it's 1980, and you're putting out a role-playing game when role-playing games basically don't exist. Yeah, we're six years past D&D right now. Like, there's there's a shitload of role-playing games already by 1980, but almost all of them are roll 3d6 for your strength, intelligence, Exactly. Dexterity. Yeah. The fact that this was just like, oh, we're not going to do any of the shit that, like, has been established as the must-dos for RPGs. Yeah. I'm like, Good on you, man. Good yeah. doing. It was a terrible decision. Bankrupted the company. Oh, it absolutely fucked them. But Act- for me, a person in 2023 reviewing it, yeah. great job. Great. SPI, you're welcome to come back in my book. I'm sorry you got taken out by Grogs who didn't yet have the words to call this woke bullshit, which is you sh- I'm sure is what it would be called now. Soap opera game? That's woke bullshit. Imagine if they did that. It'd be all based on Yellowstone. Ah. <laughs> 1923. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. This was a surprise. I was I was all set to not like this in the slightest, and I came out the other side like, hey, I'd play this bullshit. This is hilarious. Well, I was set for this to really heavily fall into one of two categories, either the murder mystery. I thought for sure this was going to be oh, a who shot who JR. shot Jr. murder mystery yeah. game, or it would just be full LARP, and this would be like when we did the reviews of Nexus, where you're like, there aren't mechanics here beyond like the very bare bones so trying to go into that is weird yeah, yeah. i gotta tell you i looked at the wikipedia during the, the uh, review here and we were wondering if this came out before or after the who shot jr thing that 83 million people tuned turned into watch it was written slightly before and was published in in stores during the who shot jr arc damn it could not have come out at a better time for what it is and it didn't help that the is world just sad. wasn't ready yeah man Imagine that, though. Imagine being somewhere where you'd be like, I'm in a nerd store, and you see a Dallas game, and you're like, why is this here? I mean, were there even, what was a nerd store in 1980 anyway? Oh, generally a hobby store, I, I would yeah, assume. Yeah, probably mostly scale model kits made by Ravel, and then there'd be one little section of, uh, of, of war game stuff in the back. Like, I remember that was the era where you could literally, like, they met, we have an ad for Ares Sci-Fi Magazine in this. Oh, yeah. It's in the box set. And I've got tons of those ads because I have a lot of old box sets. And everyone, you'll always find these ads that are like, like, uh, hey, are you interested in pewter miniatures of Amazon or, or of Amazons? Called Jeb. <laughs> yeah. And then it just has, like, his phone number. No, because all of these were like, oh, you, there's no way a brick and mortar store is going to support this shitty hobby. Yeah. You, you subscribe to Strategy and Tactics Wargaming Magazine. Yes. And then you <laughs> write a letter to one guy and go, I would like these four miniatures. Here is a check for that. And he'll send it to you. Yeah, you get Ares or Dragon or Omni or Hooters or Jugs or Wee. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. I, I think I slipped into a different list. <laughs> Gigantic asses. <laughs> booties, booties, booties. <laughs> Completely ruined junk. <laughs> the holes. <laughs> holes across America. 
I mean, it was, you know, the 1980, the late 70s weren't that far in the, de- in the past. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, you want to get into the best and worst? I would love to. Sure, let's do that. What would you say is the best thing about the Dallas the television role-playing game? I mean, as I just said, the fact that this is a full PvP uh, RPG makes it work as a soap opera in the same way that, you know, the storied game of the Duckman RPG only works because it's that full PvP level. Yeah. Having that wheeling and dealing, but also you're like, it's not just that everyone is out to completely screw everyone else. You definitely have times where you're like, oh, it'd be great if we teamed up and did stuff. Yeah, that was a big part of the Duckman. I would feel like an absolute hack if I had read this before we riffed out the Duckman RPG <laughs> that one time. But I, luckily we hadn't. But yeah, there's it has right in the Duckman RPG, there's a part that's like, look, it's not always stopping all everyone else in your family from accomplishing anything. Every once in a while, like a snooty health inspector shows up and tries to take your kids away, and then the family rallies. Yeah. So you have that mechanic here as well. And so I I really like the fact that the mechanics on this work so well to do the theme of the show. Yeah, as far and, as we know, anyway. Well, I'm just, you know, <laughs> the theme of soap opera. There you go. So I, I love that they managed to do that. And the fact that they did it in 1980, absolutely amazing to me. Yeah. What is your favorite thing in this? Uh, I think my favorite thing in this is uh, I'm going to go with the uh, little role-playing game guides. Uh, Not the part that's like, as a woman, you'll expect (laughs) to be... As a woman, you have no power. (laughs) You you should expect to play a weaker, crappier game. But I I do like the way that they kind of get you all set up, that each one of the major characters is not only given a basic sheet of, of instructions about their character, but also an attached rule sheet that explains the entire game. Because they know, even though this is a really early LARP, that you're going to be kind of walking around in a room being like, oh, God, I have to coerce coerce this person. How does coercion work? What the hell is that? Oh, yeah. The fact that the backside of your character sheet is just, here's the rules. Yeah. The, the uh, character sheet selection is perforated. Like, you can tear your character sheets out and hand them out to people. And for a fucking box set that was not plastic wrapped and was 43 years old, I am so happy that everything in this is intact. Yep. And still on the cards. It's amazing. Yeah. So, uh so that that's that's cool. I really like the way the character sheets are laid out and the way that your character uh, comes together. So yep, that's neat. What would you say is your least favorite thing here? Oh, it's for sure the lack of any information about fucking Dallas yeah. as a show. Yeah, I mean, I, in this this is a situation where I'm just going to 100 percent agree with you. Uh, oh I, yeah, I don't really have anything different. I mean, the the two sections of this are: I wish it gave more information about Dallas as a show and setting, mm-hmm. and I wish. Each of the characters, instead of having a fucking two paragraphs about, hey, you suck, maybe try to not suck as much, it was like, give me more information about yeah. how to play this a character. A little more detail about the characters, their por- their positions in the world, and the world around them, and not just fucking Texas, would would have been a godsend in this book. But then again, that's some fucking future-proofing that we're asking from these people. Like, look, your game's going to fail utterly and ruin you all professionally, but 43 years from now... Do you think you could write this out with a little further explanation for it? In case someone doesn't know what Dallas is? Because when they were writing it, they're like, who doesn't know what Dallas is? (laughs) Everyone knows what Dallas is. If you don't know what it is, you find out at the water cooler and you feel like an idiot for missing that episode. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that should obscure your view of Dallas is a thick haze of 1980s style cigarette smoke. Uh, But yeah. I would love I, I'm agreeing with you there. There's not enough here for me to have gotten an idea really of what Dallas is. 
and what it was like. And I needed that for this to work. But then again, I couldn't expect them to to predict that, you know, the the uh, the, the people talking about this game would be two dudes in a, in a garage 40 years later. No, obviously not. So there you go. Would you play this game? I mean, maybe <laughs> I kind of feel like, yeah, maybe I would. Yeah, I kind of I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, this is my copy. I will photocopy everything in it uh, rather than letting us tear it all apart. But but yeah, it is. I would probably play this, too, because it seems like a fun experience. It's a, it's a party. It's one of those. It's almost a murder mystery in a box type of deal. And you'd be like, hey, you got like eight friends together. This is a this is a jam. And again, you don't need to have all nine characters represented. No, you don't. Like the game says, basically, as long as you have at least three players and a director, you should be fine. Yeah. Though honestly, if you're doing that, the three players should probably control two each. Yes, they probably. Otherwise, the game's going to be very easy because there will not be enough overlap of what the three characters need that you can ha- probably have all three win and have to go to victory points. Well, yeah, because it'll it'll be like, oh, either all three players went oh, we picked things and the three of us have barely any overlap, or we picked three characters that all want exactly the same thing, yeah. and this game is just us punching each other in the dick for three hours. Yeah, you definitely don't want to run, like, if you're just three of you, you don't want to run JR, Pamela, and, like, Bobby or Cliff, because those are all the ones who are wheeling and dealing over the exact same shit. If you're playing three players, you're like, yeah, I'm going to take JR, you take Lucy, and I'll take Ray Krebs. None of us give a fuck what anyone else is doing. <laughs> It would be, frankly, creepy if Ray and, and Lucy's stories intersected. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so yeah, I would probably play this, too. Although, God, wh- how do you make that happen? Right? <laughs> I mean, Just who do you find even out. pitch that to? <laughs> like, you go to your friends and you're like, guys, I know you've been wanting to do a one-shot, and it's my turn to present one-shots this week. Mm-hmm. Well, heroes, Hello, here's heroes. Dallas. <laughs> I guess that's the way we get it done. Yeah. We just we James just, J- James James. Oh wait, James, you don't do this anymore. <laughs> James's replacement. <laughs> Our new network head, James's replacement for everything. <laughs> James stepped down from the whole network. Uh James's replacement. Can we run Dallas? New father of James's baby. <laughs> new James, can I have Dallas? <laughs> I'm just gonna call you new James. Yeah, whoever whoever wins that, he didn't tell you yet, but but you have to take control of his baby. <laughs> And that's us. We're his baby. <laughs> We're your problem now. <laughs> Deal with us. I would love it if that was part of the contract. If not not in those words exactly, but if part of the contract for whoever. It, this is very inside baseball for people who are fans of the One Shot Network in general, uh, is that James is not stepping down as the network head. He's just stepping down from making One Shot. He has a bunch of other shows he's focusing on. Uh, everything's great. He just has bigger things to do. Um, that's the wrong way to say that. But, but, uh, <laughs> it's a very big opportunity. Quit fucking digging holes, man. You I'm, don't no, need I'm to sorry. explain I'm shit. To dig up, stupid. But, uh, <laughs> no, when I was, all I wanted to say was it'd be hilarious that the contract for the one shot host is like, you have to like Jeff and John from System Mastery. No one else in the network does. <laughs> if you're in charge of doing one shot, you have to be nice to these goons. You put up with these two chuckleheads. <laughs> <laughs> God bless. If it's not in there, it should be. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> anyway, there you have it. Uh, we would both probably play fucking Dallas, the television role-playing game. That's right. Now, normally we would tell you to go over to our Patreon because we would make characters in the game that we have reviewed. 
However, you cannot make a character in Dallas. They're all Dallas characters. It feels like you should be able to because there are characters that aren't mentioned here. Like the oh, one for who sure. shot JR. Like, I, if I wanted to be like, well, I'll assign stats to Kristen Shepard. I could do that, yeah. but there's no guidelines, and I'd be like, she's got 25s and everything, fuck you. Yeah, and also you could probably put Detective Munch in there. He showed up on every other show. Yeah, sure. R.I.P. Belzer, pour one out for a real one. <laughs> I mean, Dallas is one of the longest-running full-hour primetime dramas in American TV history behind Law & Order SVU and Law & Order. <laughs> He was on SVU, too. That was the one he went to after starting out. I think he started out on Homicide Law, uh, Life on the Streets or whatever it was called. Man, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I'm not a munch expert. So we're not going to be making characters in Dallas. Instead, we'll be making characters in some other game that we have reviewed. Yeah. And if you want to know what game it is and what those characters are, I will gladly tell you. I'm kidding. It's going to be on the episode. Yeah, I'll gladly tell you if you give me $2. No. <laughs> no. Go to patreon.com slash system mastery. Join us at the $2 level. That's going to unlock the bonus content for this. It's going to unlock an RSS feed with no ads in it. Mm -hmm. And it helps support the show. Plus, it'll get you if you're in our Discord, which obviously you should be. It'll get you access to some of our uh, elite restricted rooms mm, for the discerning gentlemen. Mm, yes, the gentlemen's clubs, we call them. <laughs> Here's your club. <laughs> Each of them has a two drink minimum, and we recommend you bring a large number of singles. <laughs> uh, so we've got all that. And of course, there's more. If you join us at the $4 level, you unlock our bonus content for Expanded Universe show. And we've got the $10 a month, which gets you everything. It gets you the monthly afterthought, the TV mastery, where we are currently going through very special episodes of old sitcoms access to the bubble lounge you got it baby you get to go to the champagne room mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna have to go rename the afterthought channel there's no touching but if you're ten dollars a month the bouncer will look at the other way <laughs> oh don't do that respect everything's gross here <laughs> respect sex workers <laughs> <laughs> oh lord all right but yeah, all that stuff and more can be yours for various levels at patreon.com slash system mastery or just follow us on Twitter or whatever uh, platform isn't falling apart. Apparently, we have to do TikTok now. Ugh. I got to get started on Blech. doing the ticking talks. Uh, do I have to go into public and annoy people with shitty dances while they try and go about their day? Yeah. And I bring the one point where they were allowed to go about their day at a <laughs> grocery store where they have a minute to their goddamn selves without <laughs> having some asshole dance in front of them like a fucker. Yeah. And I think you also have to make gross food and then like cut right before you actually eat it. I think that's a thing you do on, t I have to do on TikTok as well. So, Oh no, we got to do mukbangs now where we just loudly eat our shitty food. Oh, that sounds like fun. I'm into that. Yeah. We uh, got to find the crunchiest food possible and eat it directly into a mic. That shouldn't be hard for either of us because we're both on very restrictive diets. <laughs> Nah, man, Celery that's away. shitty for, for mukbangs because they want you to have like an entire tray of garbage that no, you eat. Well, we're not we're not doing that anymore. We'd die. Yeah, I would explode. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, please uh, follow us wherever you can or buy our books. We have several books. Do whatever. Do whatever. Just help us in some way. Just fucking help us. <laughs> Just for the love of Throw God. us a goddamn bone. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> We've been here for 10 years. Give me a hand. <laughs> all right. We'll see you later. You all have a good one.